Hello, and welcome to Full Contact Nerd Interviews, where I talk with writers and other creative people about their work and how and why they create fantastic and mysterious places for us to explore. I'm Chris Alvarez, and thank you for listening. I'm speaking with Sophia Lodien, author of French Romance, Medieval Sweden, and the Europeanization of Culture, published by D.S. Brewer, January 6, 2021. Thank you for speaking with me. Thanks for having me. So first, um, how did you get into studying and writing a book on a subject like this? <laughs> it is the result of, um, I would say it started as a, a student. I went to France when I was 19 years old and um, I was very interested in French in general. I wanted to learn the language, so I went to the university and I studied literature, French literature. Um, and then I took a course on medieval French literature and I really found that absolutely fascinating in all sorts of ways. And that was how it started, basically. And then I came back to Sweden and I wrote my uh, little thesis and then I wrote a bigger thesis and then I went back to France and then I I ended up doing a um, doctoral dissertation on, on the topic. But then I, I was... Uh, I started my doctoral dissertation in France and I got the feeling that it was very hard for a Swedish person to write on the uh, only the French literature. So I, I felt that I had to bring in the Swedish side of it, uh, which was perhaps a bit strange. But then I ended this uh, thesis and and that was in 2012. And um, it wasn't really finished, I think, so I had to go on. So I think this this is the book that is the that had to be written. It's a much um, it's not it's not my thesis, but it it's it was the next step mm. after this thesis because um, the Swedish translations of uh, medieval French literature they deserve much more attention than they have received mm. and, and and in my first i mean I, as a doctoral student i only studied one specific text but in this book i have chosen to look at several texts and and also to broaden the perspective and to try to place this text in in the the pan-european context because you cannot understand uh, i mean that is really my conclusion for more and more that you cannot speak really of french literature swedish literature everything is so connected and you, ha you have to put uh, all these texts together, you have to understand them as as part of a, a larger European literature. Mm -hmm. So, what uh, time period, as far as the Swedish um, uh, translations, what what time period? Well, let's what time period do the French romances come from, and what period mm -hmm. are the Swedish translations from? Uh, yeah, so the first French texts that I study are from the 12th century. But then I I don't have a very specific limit, so I I look at later texts as well, and the, the latest is dated to the 15th century, so 12th to 15th centuries. Um, but they arrive much later in Sweden, um, so so the texts that are written in 12th century France, they are translated generally in the beginning of the 14th century in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And the latest Swedish text that I look at um, appears in the 16th century. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a broad 
scope of what time period. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's one thing that strikes me is that it's interesting that you would have a type of literature that's popular in France, you know, in this period that's sort of pre-Renaissance, -re, pre and then it becomes popular in Sweden, you know, say 200 years later. You know, I'm just thinking culturally and politically, what does that say about each of them? Yes, that that's very it's a very good point. It's very it's very interesting. But in a way it also um it I think it says something about the, the genre of romance in itself, in the sense that I mean perhaps it reminds us that these texts didn't people didn't lose interest in King Arthur or or uh related genres um after the the twelfth centuries. These texts continued to to circulate in, in Europe and even after I mean even when you started to print texts, these texts were still read. So in a way it's only that the I mean the texts that would that were actually translated in Sweden, their sources they are not they are older than uh, the Swedish texts. But but if you if you look at at these texts as a bigger tradition, I think it's it's not that simple. It's not only that everything arrives later in Sweden. Mm. Uh, it is it is moving around. But of course, um, it is in many ways in the the francophone area that these. Um, texts are born more or less mm -hmm. so and then they they spread and they spread very quickly to 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 um uh what we call germany today um and they come relatively quickly to norway and to iceland mm -hmm. sweden comes after so uh of course it doesn't it takes time before these texts reach sweden and and sweden is sort of periphery uh at, at this, I mean, uh, in the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. So, so translating it, does that mean that it was able to get to more of the noble class in Sweden, or did it spread more to the the lower classes, you know, who didn't know French, you know? But this is really courtly literature, so it's written for the court mm -hmm. at the instigation of a of a queen or or a nobleman. So this is not at all a text that were re read by by uh, uh, people outside. I would say of of the aristocracy or at least the very highly educated um, class. So it's a very, I mean, it doesn't reach far. Um, but that's also what's interesting because that is also the thing in, in, in I mean, it, it's like that in almost every country, each court in the Middle Ages uh, needed to, to, to produce literature and, and a, a specific type of literature, courtly romance, Arthurian romance, other types of romances. And that was also the case for, for Sweden. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't reach very far in terms of readers or, or it's really a very... Uh, yes, the, the courtly, the aristocratic public. Mm -hmm. What Swedish literature existed, you know, before these made their way into the Swedish courts, and, and did they supplant the older stuff in any way, or did they they add to it? That's very interesting. So, so because, um, and that's an important argument in my book because Swedish literature, you could say, starts with these translations mm. of course we have rune stones we have shorter pieces uh, in in uh, written texts in swedish but we don't have longer 
fiction before these first translations of romances. So translation, and that is still the case, translation is extremely important in order to create new literary traditions. And in the case of of medieval Sweden, um, uh, translation of um, romance uh, is functions as a means to, to establish a Swedish national literature in a way, because then these translations will inspire uh, indigenous texts. Mm-hmm. So that nothing is born out of of nothing. Everything is, uh, I mean, all these influences, they, they are so important mm-hmm. for, and influences from, from ab- abroad. So was it, um, who was doing these translations? Was it your standard medieval monks, Christian monks who were deciding what to translate and how? Yeah, it's a good question. We don't really know who who did it, but we can um assume that that the 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 translator or the translators uh, they they were educated, which meant that they had some kind of Christian education, perhaps a monk or at least yes, somebody who who was uh, schooled uh and um but we don't really know. I mean, who we, there, there are hypotheses, there are certain names, but you, you, you cannot be sure of it. But we can imagine that it was a, a man of, of, of the church, probably somebody who had studied abroad, because we tend to forget that, that I mean, the, the intellectual um, milieu of the Middle Ages was international and that people, uh, the educated uh, ones, they did travel. So, for example, in, in my case, I, I think that my translators, they probably spent uh, time uh, at uh, the University of Paris. Uh, probably they might have picked up these texts or they uh, discovered, they got familiar with the language, etc. And then they came back to Sweden and then they were able to translate it. But then we have the the, per, the, the people at the court who who are who appear in the texts and that are and who are said to be the, the ones who actually ordered the translation who'd said that I want this text to be translated that is often something that we can read about in the epilogue or the prologue um, and in the case of the first Swedish translations this is a uh, the person who is who, who is spoken of in the text them, themselves is a queen. Uh, it's a queen of Norway, actually, Queen Euphemia. Uh, and it is um, Euphemia who is supposed to have uh, ordered a translation of, of, of the very first texts. Mm-hmm. Um, and Euphemia was born in, in Rügen, in, in Germany, and she arrived in, in Norway in order to marry um, so you could imagine perhaps that she she knew this literature from from her childhood that was something that she she got acquainted with in uh, germany and then she, she so she had a heritage and then she came to norway and then she wanted to 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 bring this culture into the scandinavian one mm-hmm. her her daughter uh, was supposed to to marry a swedish duke so that is what uh, scholars generally give us the, the explanation why she had these texts translated as a sort of gift uh, when her daughter married this this duke. Mm-hmm. And do you agree with that? I agree with. Uh, I think that Euphemia played a very important role, but of course, I and I'm not the only one who 
um, saying this, but but I I don't think that I mean these texts were not only gifts; they were um, more powerful. They were also political tools. They they um, they were very conscious uh, ideological uh, projects in a way. It's not only. Uh, it it was of course thought to to amuse the court uh, to 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 have fun. It's the first function, I think. But they were also there in order to educate the nobility and to to transmit something. And during this period, the the Norwegian court they already they had translated most of these texts, and and they had a very strong. Uh, literary culture already and that was not at all the case in Sweden and I think that I mean um, uh, the the Swedish texts are in many ways different from the Norwegian ones so there is a rapture and I think that is a very conscious rapture as well that may um, have been very intentional on behalf of the Queen she introduces very clearly a, a very um, Germanic influence. Hmm. I'm speaking with Sophia Loden, author of French Romance, Medieval Sweden, and the Europeanization of Culture. You can find more information about her work on her academic webpage. If you like this podcast, Full Contact Nerd interviews so far, please subscribe. If you want daily book suggestions for new fiction and nonfiction studies in sci fi, fantasy, horror, mysteries, gaming, game design, film history, and more, please check out my YouTube channel, Chris Alvarez Full Contact Nerd, my website, chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com, my podcast, Full Contact Nerd Interviews, and my Twitch channel, Full Contact Nerd. If you're looking for new military and general history books and information, check out warscholar.org or militaryhistorypodcast.com my YouTube channel, War Scholar, and my podcast, Military History Inside Out. If you want new technology, science, and space books, check out technologyinspace.com, my YouTube channel, Space Walks Money Talks, and my podcast, Technology and Space. Now back to the podcast. So let's talk then about the, the differences from the French, um, sounds like we can talk about you know what 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 was different what did they focus on that the french may not have have focused on yeah um so if i'm very general um i would say that the swedish texts they are <laughs> they really focus on on the question of courtliness courtly behavior how to behave uh as a, as a member of the court and the, the questions about female and male identity that is very very general but but it's really the the theme that that i mean go uh, goes through all these texts mm -hmm. um the the french texts in general are very sophisticated uh literally they are really literary uh, masterpieces they are are extremely sophisticated on on so many levels you can and it's very hard to it's not that the swedish uh translator um the swedish translator doesn't um contradict the the the, the french writers he doesn't um he doesn't go against him but he chooses a, a more specific interpretation that mm. is really focused on on courtliness, on on certain uh, 
values. Hmm. A bit less interested in, in questions about love, for example, because love is a very literary theme and I suppose very difficult to to depict in literature. And the translators generally chose a more uh, political interpretation. Mm-hmm. And just to, uh, I, I've been assuming all these romances are, you know, you have your standard um, romance between knights and their ladies and the knights go out and do quests or have battles with other knights and they go through that whole whole thing. Is that, all, all, all of these are like that, right? Or is there any significant differences? Yeah, but more or less. <laughs> but I have, I'm studying four uh, textual traditions, four, mm. four different texts that all uh, spread not only from France to Sweden but in the whole of, of medieval Europe and the first one Ivan uh, or the Knight of the Lion it's a purely Arthurian romance mm-hmm. so with adventures and and ladies and damsels and everything uh, the the very what we may think of as a very typical uh, medieval romance the second one is a love tale really Floire et Blanche Fleur idyllic idyllic romance Uh, it's about two children who grow up together and they fall in love as children and then they are separated uh, by their parents Um, so that a bit less of adventures and much more of 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 love Mm. Um, and the third one valentine ourson um it's a bit different again it's about two twin brothers and they are abandoned as uh, babies in in the woods mm-hmm. and then one one of them is brought up uh, in a very courtly milieu and the other one is brought up in the wild mm-hmm. um and then one day they are reunited and and uh lots of adventures happen but they it's it's really the starting point is this um is the fact that one one grows up in the civilized world and the other one in, in wilderness and what 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 happens mm. and the third one uh paris et vienne is a love tale again it there are many parallels to to floire et blanche fleur um it is also about two children you could say and they who are separated they are in love but their parents they they, they don't want them to to be together and then Lots of things happen from there. Mm-hmm. So, so the, it's love stories and uh, uh, stories about adventures. Mm-hmm. Well, I also notice it seems to be, a lot, at least the the twin brothers, the the, you know, the importance of, of maybe family or blood as well. Um, and I think yeah. about that because it seems that just reading the history, you know, histories of noble families in Europe, you had a lot of. Um, illegitimate illegitimate children who were who might come back to try to reclaim titles and stuff so politically you have a lot of people wondering about their birthright and what's important um so i'm just wondering yeah do these stories reflect it sounds like these stories reflect that to some extent yeah, I haven't thought so much about it. I have to, to confess, but it's all, yeah, I, 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 why not? I think so. <laughs> yes, you could, you could say that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have we touched on all the difference? You, you did mention that the Swedish focus on courtly manners and rules. What, what other differences did you see? And maybe not just in Sweden, but in the other countries as well, their focus. Hmm. Um, 
yeah for example i am i i was fascinated by the role of animals that mm. it's not a big theme but it's still there so in this very famous story about ivan the the knight of the lion it's a knight once again he meets a lion mm. and uh the lion is very interesting of course the lion is such a fascinating animal when you consider medieval culture mm. and and then uh the swedish translator will um choose to depict the lion in a new way he will make uh, the lion female in a way and instead of writing a lot about the the lady of the romance uh, and the love love affair between the the lady and the the knight mm. uh, i think that the lion in some way will will uh, take the place of the lady and i found mm. that very fas- fascinating mm. and and also the role of the spoken language so this this swedish lion mm-hmm. will will start to speak in a way that the the french lion doesn't really and that comes back <laughs> in in uh, in uh, one of the other texts that with uh, as, so this wild brother i told you about these two twin brothers one is one grows up in the forest and um, so this wild brother who who grows up in the forest is um taken care of by a wolf and so he, he will become a wolf and and then it's it's a very funny text because you can i mean what happens to this wild man who who is behaving like like a wolf and and there is a fascination on behalf of i think the swedish translator but also um the translator tries to make the, the animal uh more human and and um the animal really becomes a, a vehicle to to discuss this question of what i mean the the what is the difference between a, a education and and not having a, an education what uh, what differs between the wild and the, the civilized so the role of animals was was done, one thing that i think was really i mean it's interesting for me as a modern reader but it was also very interesting for the the medieval reader how much does um did you find that maybe the old Scandinavian myths, you know, with all their spirits and creatures and animals, you know, having such importance, did, did that, did you see that finding its way at all into the, the Scandinavian translations? Oh, not really. Hmm. Not really. Uh, and, w- and once again, there is a dividing line, I would say between the, the, so you have the Norwegian and Icelandic culture on the one hand, and then the the Swedish and Danish culture on the other. And of course, uh, you mainly perhaps associate these myths with with the, the Icelandic sagas. Of course, this is it's not that simple, and and you have these kinds of myths in in Swedish culture as well. But the problem is that, uh, I mean, these are the very first longer literary texts that are preserved so it's hard to compare and to know where things come from mm. um maybe but yeah very hard to say okay. but i i would say that these translations very clearly um they don't really try to connect with the so much with the indigenous culture in that sense they want to introduce uh, all these elements from abroad from the continent continental culture from from france mm-hmm. uh, that is one of the main purposes i would say with the with the translations mm-hmm. so perhaps i could imagine that the translator he tries to tone down the scandinavian 
uh, interpretations or try to insist rather on the continental ones, if mm. you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. So how about the um, magic, you know, like, the, you know, I don't know how much these, you know, the whole Merlin idea of Merlin, the mystical, um, how much of a difference or how much is there in each of these different um, groupings? Mm. I would say that you have much more. I'm sorry to say that, but in the in the French, and once again, they are they remain more sophisticated in that sense. They they manage so beautifully to 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 mix this, this magic with uh, elements from reality, with with the love theme and the adventures, and the balance is perfect in a in a sense. And the Swedish versions, they they will. Uh, they will have to, to clean a bit in order to make certain points clear. It doesn't mean that they are not sophisticated as well, but the magic is not the main, it's not what is, I think, what the Swedish translators really found interesting. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it was difficult to, to, to translate. Uh, so it is perhaps a bit lost. It's not. It's there, but, but you have it much more uh, in the French text and in the the german ones um so you can feel that the i think it's because the the swedish literary culture is so new so you cannot it's not possible to connect to to so many other texts so you have to be a bit more clear about what you want to say uh, otherwise it would be too much whereas of course the french writers they could they are part of a very well-established literary culture already so they are they don't have to explain everything because they can um, give hints they they can connect to previous texts uh, easily and they are part of something much bigger hmm. that's interesting um yeah wow that's fascinating I, i'm curious how the use of latin affects any of this you know was french just the language of of medieval europe at this time that Anyone educated would know some French? <laughs> Very good question. But no, I, do, I don't think that French was the language of all the educated people. And, and in, uh, I mean, of course, the, the language of education was Latin, as you say. So if you, if you, if you had an education, you, you, you knew Latin. That was the, the language to know. Mm. But then, um, in Sweden uh, during the Middle Ages, of course, Middle Low German was the, the second language uh, due to the Hanseatic League. So that was a very important language. And if you look at the Swedish language today, uh, you will find so many loan words and many from, from German and many of them came with with a contact with uh, the Low German language in, in the, the Middle Ages. Uh, French, the French influence. There are some some loan words from French um, in the Middle Ages, but they are mostly linked actually to these texts, to the courtly literature, and they are very few, very very few. So no, I think that I mean these translators they must have uh, learned French when studying in Paris. But then I, I should also say that I say that this is translations from French because in all texts go back to a French text. But that doesn't mean that the translator uh, used the French source always. Often he had another source, uh, so uh, an intermediary one. So it is actually only one of these texts that we really know is translated 
from the French, or at least I believe that it was translated from the French. But in in the other cases, these are translations from Old Norse, Old West Norse, so the language that uh, was spoken in Norway and Iceland, or Low German. So how about the effect that the Swedish translations, or even any of the Scandinavian translations, did they have a, an effect in turn back on, you know, German and French texts in any way, any influence? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. But but what uh, what happened in a way was that these Swedish texts were picked up in, in Denmark. So if you want to find a result of the Swedish... Um, translations you could look at the danish context but you because you will have translations into old danish of the swedish translations but i am not sure that actually the the swedish text came back to to france or that is only now i think because there is a big interest in in france for these um uh i mean for the nordic reception of of French literature today, but that that is today. So it took many hundred years, I think. No, and I, I don't think it really came back. Of course, there are there are some influences from um, from Scandinavian culture in in on the the French context, but that is mostly um, words in uh, that came with the Vikings. Or, but it's it's very limited. And and in terms of literature, I, I at least this is I don't know that there was such an influence maybe but but i i don't know it really no so with the um the translations just extrapolating to sort of more modern um literature that maybe deals with arthurian type or maybe fantasy and that sort of thing do do modern and, and let's say you know 18 19 20th century in these countries do you see any traditions extend out hmm. individual traditions that extend yeah, out that that's interesting. And you mean on the Swedish side, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would say that the the text among the, the four that I'm, I have studied, uh, it is one that attracted most interest in, uh, in the later context, and that is Floire et Blanchefleur. Uh, so this story about the, the, the two uh, children who, who fall in love, the two lovers, that is a, the tale that really interested the readers in the i would say 19th century and the the other texts were quite forgotten um whereas today i, I would say i would be, I tend to 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 believe and uh, that it is really the more arthurian tradition and and the uh, the stories about the the uh, knightly adventures that um uh, capture the, the the modern readers that mm-hmm. connect to 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 uh, modern culture, um, but it's it's uh, it's very strange because it, these texts are not uh, until quite recently they are very uh, little known in Sweden. Uh, they are not. Uh, this is nothing you you learn about in school or you, uh, yeah. It, it's a quite a, an unknown literature really. Mm-hmm. So so. Um, and 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 still you have this i mean really <laughs> big interest in in fantasy and and uh, so, so i i hope that people will soon discover also the the the, the medieval origin mm-hmm. and especially the swedish one since it's so it's interesting in terms of i mean in order to understand swedish literature as a as a tradition um 
I think it's very interesting to remember that it was born in a in a process of of uh, uh, exchange in translation. I'm speaking with Sophia Loden, author of French Romance, Medieval Sweden, and the Europeanization of Culture. You can find more information about her work on her academic webpage. If you like this podcast, Full Contact Nerd interviews so far, please subscribe. If you want daily book suggestions for new fiction and nonfiction studies in sci-fi, fantasy, horror, mysteries, gaming, game design, film history, and more, please check out my YouTube channel, Chris Alvarez Full Contact Nerd, my website, chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com, my podcast, Full Contact Nerd Interviews, and my Twitch channel, Full Contact Nerd. If you're looking for new military and general history books and information, check out warscholar.org or militaryhistorypodcast.com, my YouTube channel, Warscholar, and my podcast, Military History Inside Out. If you want new technology, science, and space books, check out technologyinspace.com, my YouTube channel, Spacewalks Money Talks, and my podcast, Technology and Space. Now back to the podcast. And it also makes me wonder, and, and we sort of touched on this on the email, on our emails, and I don't know how much you can speak to it, but I, so, you know, the Swedish military became very powerful around, I think it was the 1600s, you know, and I just wonder how, you know, they supplanted some of the other major European powers, and I just wonder how much this literature may have been read or discussed by the more, you know, martial types you know, among the Swedes, you know, was it, or was it just like, whatever, that's children's, you know, literature yeah. or, you Yeah, know. yeah, it's a good, good question. 16th century, it's very hard to say, but at least I think that, uh, I mean, when Queen Euphemia had these texts translated in, in the 14th century, I, I would believe, and I, I don't, of course, I couldn't prove this, but my impression is that it is really about educating the young the young knights at the Swedish court who probably had very bad manners, who were probably not sophisticated and educated at all, because these texts are very... Uh, educating they are they teach us good manners mm. so that is a very important aspect uh, it's not so much be about being uh, only strong in battle but to to be this uh to, you, ha you should also help ladies and you should be um, you should care about about your um the people uh, close to you and you, you should help the the weak and the, all these values uh what it is to be a good knight um I think that was extremely important, mm -hmm. and and the if there is one uh, value that dominates in all Swedish texts, that's the the question of honor. Honor is uh, everything is about honor. Also, love is linked to honor, so it it will be it will bring honor to marry the right the right lady for the knight. If you're brave in battle, you will uh, uh, you receive knightly honor. You will. Um, the 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 lion uh, is uh, also represents uh, the knight's honor and so on. Everything is about honor. Mm -hmm. So when you say the right the right woman marrying the right woman, is it the right woman for love or the right woman as far as her status within? You know. Um, yeah, yeah, I think in uh, it is about status, and then the love theme is. Uh, something that these texts perhaps try 
to bring in in a way that there is and, and love to me is very much a literary thing it's it's uh, connected to the the continental tradition to to uh, to france La, love is something that they are supposed to learn because it's it's also sophisticated it's very it's educated mm -hmm. but in reality and when you read about how love is depicted it's everything is about honor hmm. interesting you have very little of of uh, descriptions of of the knight who is really suffering uh, in in the french text the knight suffers a lot out of love but in in the swedish text he he wants to uh, he needs to marry because he wants to defend his honor uh, hmm. And also uh, the, the the Swedish Floire, even though that is a really purely a love tale, they, it shifts the focus a bit towards the adventure because it's a, an adventure to find his beloved who has been taken away as a prisoner. So so, even though it's also about love, there is there is always the 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 honor behind, which is bigger mm -hmm. than the love itself. So, and I think you sort of touched on this before, but how about the status of women in these two different uh, approaches? Yeah, that's very, I mean, women is, they are very interesting and, and that's um, one of the main themes in my, my book. Uh, it's hard to give a very clear answer in, in um, but uh, the very easy answer would be to say that often the woman is, uh, the woman is reduced to, to this uh, sign of honor. So she will bring honor to her husband when she, when he marries her. But then she is also, she, she, she also has power. You have, I mean, first of all, the most obvious thing is that this is a literature uh, that was written at the behest of a uh, of a woman. Uh, the, two of these texts were written at the behest of Queen Euphemia. Not not all of them, but two. So you have a woman as the uh, at the very origin, and then also the manuscripts that are kept are some of them belonged to to women of the court. So this this is a very female literature, and in some of the texts, uh, uh, the woman is depicted in a very as a as a very strong character she has a lot of power and perhaps even more sometimes than the than the french one so so um she's extremely interesting and and um i don't think she was the main public of of the text i think that the translator perhaps wrote more in order to please the the knight uh, but still i mean yeah still this is a literature very closely linked to the, the the female part of the court. Hmm. So, what about the um sort of the physical characteristics of of the books themselves? Was there any difference? You know, did they have? Because I know sometimes they they would draw a lot of um, imagery. Um, yeah, stylized. no, they are quite. They are very poor. These manuscripts. Hmm. So, so the on if you look at the the French. Um, manuscripts you you have this i mean wonderful medieval manuscripts with uh lovely colors very strong colors and and really like like modern comics more or less but the swedish manuscripts are very simple they are really just text uh, written down so they are not i wouldn't say so interesting on a on a static level mm. they are just yeah they are texts mm -hmm. okay mm. so let me turn to um how you did how you've been doing your research for this work um do you look at the you know what 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 do you use to do your analysis um 
yeah what i try to look at, at to start somewhere to look at at the manuscripts but in this case the texts that i have studied are so well known in most of the cases and they are mostly edited so when i work once i have had to try to look at different copies or manuscripts i i mainly use the the, uh, the edited texts and i compare them i don't have a very fancy method i think but i i love to compare so i i, I look at, at i have i have my french text and then i look at often word uh for word how what what happens in in the low german in the the swedish in the old west norse or and so on and i try to compare and then i i when i find interesting i mean sometimes it's interesting to see that it is the same actually that this is this is always the same in all, all versions then that is a point hmm. and sometimes i the 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 very big differences are the most interesting things and then i i will focus on that but i'm a very uh, I I like to stay very close to my my texts mm -hmm. and to 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 observe the on a very empirical level. Where do they house the originals? Where are they kept? Uh, the manuscripts. You mean they are kept mm -hmm. at different libraries uh, in different parts of of Europe and the world. So I haven't seen them all, of course, and and many of them, especially on the French side, are so prestigious that you couldn't even actually hold them in, in your own hand but they are digitized or so you can you can you can look at them but not really mm -hmm. so so uh, but they are at, at uh, different libraries and and on the swedish side uh, many of them are here in stockholm or so so um, but not not only but yeah at, at different libraries what what are the major i'm not familiar with stockholm so what, what are the major libraries where they have these sorts of things. I'm just curious. Uh, in uh, in Stockholm, there is the the Royal Library of of uh, Stockholm, so that is the the one. And then you have one in Uppsala as well, uh, 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 very the the University Library of Uppsala, mm -hmm. where you can also find many manuscripts. So that would be the two two Swedish libraries. Mm -hmm. Okay, so doing this research, you know, you have your your thesis, and you know, you you look at you find what you find, but was there something that stood out as most surprising to you? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you've been working on it for a while, so maybe there's, yeah, it doesn't, yeah. nothing feels too surprising now, but maybe something just no. pops out. Yeah. But I, 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 I'm not sure surprising is the right word, but what I really, the point I tried to, to make, and I didn't, we didn't talk about that. So maybe I will oh, yes. <laughs> say that now is, is the question of Europeanization, because I really think that on, and, and what's perhaps surprising is that on the one hand, I really, I, I tried to argue that the French romance functioned as a means to, to, to contribute to the Europeanization of medieval culture. It was spread uh, widely, but it also it, uh, insisted on specific themes that became part of what we call today Western literature. But uh, at, at the same time as the romance was part of this Europeanization process, uh, the romance also f uh, functioned as a means to establish uh, a national Swedish literature, and I think that the tension between the national and the European is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Was there a particular question as you, as you're doing your research, and maybe it still exists for you? What 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 question really would you like an answer to, and what would how in what way would you be able to reach that answer? 
Oh, I, but I, I would, I don't think I will ever reach that answer. But I, I would love to know. I mean, very concretely, how? I mean, who were these translators? I'm, I have lived with them since I, <laughs> I mean, since two thousand. I'm employed at the university since two thousand eight, mm. and I work on these texts since. So this is more than I've been doing this for for quite a long time, mm-hmm. and I don't know really. I mean, who were the persons behind? What <laughs> I would love to meet them. I mean, what? Who were they, and how did they? I mean, what did they? I would love. Yeah, I would like to know also how did these texts actually reach Scandinavia, not only Sweden, but because we have all these hypotheses. But, but what? I mean, how did it work very concretely? Am I right when I, <laughs> uh, when I say that they, this was something they they got to know at the when they studied abroad, for example, or perhaps these texts arrived very in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm afraid it's very hard to to know, <laughs> because these things are are lost. I don't know how you could actually track it. But I, yeah. it, I, I, I would really like to know all these very concrete things, because I, I am a very literary scholar, and I, I tend to focus on more the literary motifs. But but, uh, uh, of course. And that that is possible to do, and you, I can, of course, in my new project, I, I look at nature, for example, and that's very fascinating. But still, you have this—I mean—the very concrete background. How did the texts really? How did they end up in Scandinavia? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I think we might have touched on this, but I'll ask it again. Um, did any Swedes write their own romance literature? after you know after these were translated mm, yes i very good question i mean one of uh, the, the the so i talked about queen euphemia today and and so she had three texts translated and i have studied two of them in my book but there is a third one about a certain Duke Frederick of Normandy, and this is a very funny text. Uh, it's uh, very it's different from the others, and uh, it's a text which is said to go back to a German version of a French original. But the thing is that there there are no such German or French uh, texts. Nothing is left. We only have the Swedish. So. Perhaps <laughs> that could be some sort of pseudo translation. I don't really believe it. I think there must have been a source, but but still, you, it cannot be excluded that it is actually a, a, an invention. But then um, it took some time. The 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 very famous Swedish text that was written and in a way was very influenced by these translations was the um, Eriks Kronika, the, the Eric chronicle so that's a historical uh chronicle mm. uh, it's not at all about uh set in this very fictional world but still it picks up these um motifs from from the translations about uh courtly manners and and so on so mm. so it's very connected and then other chronicles follow and but it takes some time before you really get to something uh purely swedish if you could say so Mm-hmm. So, um, since you have mentioned both France and Germany, how how much did each impact Swedish culture at this time, relatively speaking? Was yeah, I don't quite understand the interplay between those three culturally at this time. 
so you said the French, the German, and Swedish, and yeah. the Swedish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I would say that the German was. I mean, it was really important. So once again, you had the Hanseatic League, mm, uh, so right. this trade union, uh, which. Um, uh, and and the result was that the, especially the low German culture was more or less Swedish. I mean, I think it's it it was so important that it is actually quite hard to separate them because it influenced everything. It influenced language, culture, literature, um, everything, and that lots of contacts. Uh, between these two cultures, whereas the French culture, well, it's easier perhaps to identify influences because it was more distant and and uh, the contacts were they they were there, but not um, not they were not as as uh, frequent and uh, uh, deep. So they they could be associated, for example, with. I mean, courtly literature, uh, art, architecture, and and of course the the university culture. Um, so France was French culture was very well known, I think, but not not um, in the whole society. It was much more an elite culture. So it sounds that it sounds as though then it took the queen, you know, making taking the step like, hey, we're gonna. We're going to adopt this literature like it, it it took one or a couple people it wasn't like something that was diffusing into sweden no, exactly no you you needed a person and but of course it's i mean since the low german is so present uh it is not uh, something that the translator especially wants to put forward because it doesn't sound very exotic to say that this was translated <laughs> from low german but it, it is much more prestigious and and uh, exotic to translate something from French. Mm-hmm. So, so French has this, yes, the prestige that is ha- it has still today. I would say, uh, but also in the Middle Ages, it was a very prestigious culture, and and it it wasn't, um, yeah. Did was there anything in French culture or society or or anything that when the translators encountered may have been completely unfamiliar with and didn't know what to do with and that could be literally an object you know an item a concept anything oh yes uh yes i mean there are misinterpretations Mm. uh but now i of course i i cannot give a very good example but yeah for example the translators sometimes they mix characters but that's not linked to the the very French context. I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. I cannot think of a good example now, but of course you can. I mean, there are lots of mistakes. I think things that. I mean, they are not. Oh, I mean, very often it, it, the, the translator adapts the source in a very conscious way, but sometimes it's just an error. He didn't understand <laughs> what he was translating, and he gets it wrong. But it's perhaps more on a very linguistic level that he misinterpret words and names, for example, mm. and who is who in the story. It's not always clear. Mm. It's not always clear to me either. And and the same happened to the the medieval translator. Mm-hmm. Did uh, do any of the texts have any any notes, or you know, did maybe any of the noble people who read them write notes or comments at all in any of these? <sighs> Ooh. any versions not not any how do you say there might be some but 
nothing more how do you say consistent or nothing not more nothing you could get out of it not that i really know Mm. there might have been there might be something in the manuscript that i don't know but not that that i know really no and i ask because i'm reading a history of um the york brothers from england and richard the third apparently liked to make notes in his or, you know, yeah, his, his nightly yeah. romances and say, mm-hmm. yes, I want to be like this or so, something to that uh, effect. Yeah. You know? I, I think that this, I mean, the Swedish texts, I would say, were probably read out aloud. So this it's mm. really oral literature. You could yeah. imagine the scene, they were having a, a feast at the court, having a nice dinner, and then somebody would read the text aloud. I, I don't think it was really, it was probably read by some uh silently but but mostly this was intended to be read out aloud so that might might hmm. explain uh why we, we don't really have these kinds of of notes hmm. interesting what do you hope the book will do then for re- apart from simply educating them on this topic you know what else would you like readers to take away from from this from my book you yeah. mean yes yeah first of all I hope that my point about Europeanization will be will be. Uh, I hope that that it will be a bit discussed and that I will. I don't think that I got as far as I could. I, I, there is much more to say about uh, the role of the French romance romance as part of of a Europeanization process. So I would love if somebody could uh, take this further. Um, but then, of course, I also hope that this book will take uh, medieval Swedish literature more seriously uh, from from now and, and uh, because it's uh, there are so few books that actually uh, look at Swedish literature medieval Swedish literature um, as a whole not only one specific text but but several so I hope that uh, that my book will will show that uh, there is something interesting in there, uh, and more to more to study because I many times I just scratch the the surface. So so there there's so much you could write. I mean I I, I probably and I mean you know this and and I probably said it, but what is so fascinating about medieval translation is that I mean it's not at all what we consider as as translation it's so different uh, the translator is in the medieval translator is so free to do what he wants uh, and and that freedom is is extremely fascinating to to investigate and uh, that is why you can find so much in, in translation it's not lost but it is really found there did you have any difficulties getting the the book published if, finalized and published not so much it was a lot of work but I, i've been very thankful uh, to ds brewer they have been really great they have helped me a lot and it has felt very i mean i published my doctoral dissertation as as a very the most simple publication ever and this has been a very dramatic change to to publish a book uh with a professional editor so I've got a lot of help and support and that has really been wonderful but then I've also learned a lot and it has been a very it has been a tough process in terms of of uh, of work mm-hmm. and I I am working on a, on a new book and I think that I will be that I, I have learned many things in order to avoid uh, this work in very last 
minute. And I discovered especially very many errors in the very, just before the book was sent into uh, printing. And that was very hard. <laughs> so, yeah. But now it, these things are corrected. And I'm extremely grateful once again to, to DS Brewer because they really helped me to, to, to get me through this very last and very hard <laughs> work. <laughs> but... Uh, Okay, so what about, and you touched on your current project, um, can you go more into it? You mentioned nature. Yeah, I'm, uh, so I'm, I'm, um, I will uh, continue in the world of, of medieval romance, but mm. this time I'm really, I will focus on, on the Arthurian romance and uh, the question of, of different landscapes and borders in, in the Arthurian romance. That is what is, uh, what I'm interested in now. I study landscapes like the forest and, mm. and the mountain mountain and how different landscapes are uh, depicted in different Arthurian romances in uh, Europe. And I try to look at the Arthurian romance as a really European genre. So the question of Europeanization is still very uh, much a priority and something that I'm very keen to, to continue to, to explore. Mm -hmm. And so what, uh, what, what countries do you find the, the Arthur... Uh, concept or story you know it's uh, most people think you know britain the uk when they think king mm. arthur but, yeah. but where else just for listeners and what and yeah so you france france and britain of course mm. germany germany is extremely important so both the high german middle high german middle low german traditions uh the dutch the dutch arthur is very important and perhaps now he is getting more and more um studied but for a long time he was a bit forgotten i i think that was much due to that people didn't read dutch so it's he's harder to to assess of course the old norse and the icelandic arthur is extremely interesting because arthur arrived very quickly in iceland one of the first uh, uh, adaptations or there, there is a wooden door in iceland which and it's very early compared to other versions. So even though Iceland is a periphery and a very geographical level, it's not at all a periphery in terms of literary exchange. So Iceland is interesting. I mean, you have Sweden, Denmark, Spain, Italy it comes a bit later, but Arthur is there. So you have uh, the whole of of Europe really. Hmm. But of course, I am I have my limitations and my linguistic. <laughs> competences so i cannot look at exactly everything but i try to collaborate with with scholars also who can help me with with other languages and uh, uh if possible really to study this this tradition as a whole do you see arthur much in the further east in europe you know austria hungary yeah but i'm Russia. very i know this very little actually he appears but very not not so much. So uh, my, my focus is really on the, the Western part. But that is also due to, I suppose, my ignorance and that I, I wouldn't even be able to study these texts. So mm -hmm. I, I have to focus on the languages that I, I can actually read. And, and is Arthur always a, a, a part of the nationality of the country that's writing about him? It's not like he's a British Ar Arthur that people are writing about each no, he can be. I mean, he, I mean, in Sweden, in the the texts, uh, in one of the texts in my new book now, I mean, he is described as somebody from abroad. He's not at all a Swedish king. Oh. I would say the contrary. He is like 
someone from from the outside so that is mm. of course very interesting uh, is he some sort of exotic figure or is he part of of the very indigenous culture and that it depends on on the text perhaps not only on the on the specific context but really on each translator each text but in in most cases and that is what i think is very interesting with arthur is that he always remains very peripheral he's never i mean you don't really get to know arthur himself you you get to know his surroundings and his knights and and his world but arthur himself is just there and he's he's somewhere but still nowhere and uh, perhaps that's part of his success he 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 manages to stay away and to let uh, his close people take uh, his place mm-hmm. hmm. interesting that's that's really interesting. Um, so where do you, can people find you online? Do you have social media, website, anything like that to f- follow your uh, thoughts? Ha- uh, <laughs> yeah, I have Facebook. I'm very old fashioned and I have my university website, but I, I should have a website. I don't. I, it's just a lack of time, but I, I have a website on Stockholm University and mm-hmm. I also have a web uh, or a page i don't know how you say a page at the swedish collegium for advanced study okay. so my two uh, institutions stockholm university and the swedish collegium for advanced study okay and i'm and, there okay and your name is spelled s-o-f-i-a and then l-o-d-e-n i guess with yes, some exactly. marks yes yes yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, cool um so that's all the questions i have do you have any final thoughts or words no, not really. I, I'm <laughs> very happy. It was a very nice discussion. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Full Contact Nerd Interviews. If you like this episode, please subscribe for more. If you want daily book suggestions for new fiction and nonfiction studies in sci-fi, fantasy, horror, mysteries, gaming, game design, film history, and more, please check out my YouTube channel, Chris Alvarez, my website, chrisalvarez.com, or fullcontactnerd.com, my Twitch channel, Full Contact Nerd, and my podcast, Full Contact Nerd Interviews. If you're looking for new military and general history books and information, check out warscholar.org or militaryhistorypodcast.com, my YouTube channel, Warscholar, and my podcast, Military History Inside Out. If you want new technology, science, and space books, check out technologyandspace.com, my YouTube channel, Spacewalks Money Talks, and my podcast, Technology and Space. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to keep imagining the past, the present, and the future.